0: Okay, let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to cover the first two verses today. How about that? Sometimes you just got to take your time, right? Let's read those two verses. I love this stuff. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God Did you know that not all spirits are of God? Did you know that? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Speaking of spirits. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word this morning. We ask that you be with us. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as we talk about spirits here today. That's the spirit we're interested in the Holy Spirit. And we ask you now God to bless the teaching of your word. We ask you to give us fresh insight and understanding into these two verses in 1 John chapter 4. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Beloved do not believe every spirit. What kind of spirits are we talking about here? Well, John makes it clear. Look at the second half of the verse. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. As you probably noticed in this study of 1 John, which we've been in now for quite a number of weeks, the prevailing, one of the most important themes in John's three epistles, and we will move on to 2 and 3 after we finish the first epistle, one of the most important themes is that of walking in the truth, staying in the truth, Remaining in the truth. In fact, John uses the word truth 19 times in his three epistles. And that, bear in mind that 2nd and 3rd John only have one chapter each. So that's a lot of times that he uses that word truth. We've already studied this, but I want to read it to you again this morning. 1 John 2 18 through 20. Little children, it is the last hour. Now, John said this 2,000 years ago. Was John delusional? No. But I want to make this point. If John believed that he was living in the last hour, and again, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day with the Lord. But if John believed that 2,000 years ago, how much closer now are we to the end of this present age and the return of Jesus Christ? Much closer. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, big A, this is the big guy. Even now, many little a antichrists have come. And so as we look back over the course of human history, we can see many examples of antichrists. One of the most recent and and dominant would be Adolf Hitler, World War II, Saddam Hussein, tyrants of that ilk, Joseph Stalin. Those are just in modern history, but we've had them down through the course of human history. Even now, many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, this is interesting, but they were not of us. And so John indicates that many of the deceiving spirits that will be at work in the last days actually emanate from within the church, those that depart from sound doctrine. By which we know this the last hour, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you, true believers, have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Or as it says in the NIV, you know the truth. 2 John 1.4. John says, I rejoice greatly that I've found some of your children. He's talking about spiritual children that he's writing to. This particular church, this particular group of believers. I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in the truth. Now that's an interesting statement in and of itself, that within that particular group of believers, he discovered that some of them were walking in the truth, which seems to indicate some of them were not, as we received commandment from the Father to walk in the truth. 3 John 1, 3 through 3-4, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children get slain in the Spirit, speak in tongues, jump the pews and swing from the chandeliers. Is that what he said? Walk in the truth. John's greatest joy as a spiritual father was to hear and to know that his spiritual children were walking in the truth. That means living in the truth. That means living out that which you know to be true. How do we know what's true? It's revealed to us in the word of God and Jesus himself is the truth. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So when he speaks of not believing every spirit, he's speaking of deceptive spirits, lying spirits, any spirit that would lead us away or cause us to turn away from the truth. So let's talk about spirits for a moment. First of all, the Bible tells us that God is spirit. John 4, 24. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and what? Truth. Truth. Hello. There are those out there that say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Now, that's not really true. That's not really biblical. We're to worship Him in spirit. That means it's it's out of our inner beings. It's a sincerity. It's not just a surface religiosity. And it's also rooted and grounded in the truth. There can't be true worship without truth. There's a lot of false worship in the world, isn't there? But true worship of the one true God can only happen when the truth is part of that equation. Matthew 27, 50, Jesus cried out again on the cross with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. We know for a fact that God does not lie, do we not? He's the very essence of truth. A spirit that is of God will speak the truth. So God is a spirit. Jesus is God incarnate. God in human form. He has a spirit. Men have spirits. And any man whose spirit, that's the real you, you know, as I get older and I have more aches and pains and more issues with my physical body, I try to keep reminding myself, this is just a vehicle. This is not me. You have a car. Most people have a car, right? That's your vehicle. That's your mode of transportation. That's what gets you from point A to point B. Well, with, just like you sit inside of your car, the car is not you. The car is your vehicle. This physical body is not me. It's my vehicle. And so even though my vehicle may be wearing out, my spirit will live on, and I'm going to get a new vehicle, by the way, with an eternal guarantee. Not just a lifetime guarantee, an eternal guarantee. So men have spirits. And any man whose spirit is not controlled by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has, listen to this now, any man, any woman whose spirit is not controlled by the Spirit of God, has every possibility and every capability of being deceived and deceiving others. Do you see that? Do you understand that? 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, they were dealing with the man in the church Paul was there in Corinth who was living with his stepmother, which was considered a form of incest. Apparently she would left the man's father for the son. Paul says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? Because we're going to get a new body anyway. The flesh is temporary. What's important is the spirit. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In other words, lifting God's hand to protection because oftentimes the best way to bring someone back to God is they're going to have to suffer a little bit. In fact, most of us, the reason we came to Christ is we came to the end of ourselves, Right? We realize, man, I need God. I need something. I, I'm not going to make it. Unfortunately, that's how it works. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus because that's the part of you that is already eternal. These bodies are temporary. We are promised if we put our faith in God and we trust in Christ for the salvation of our souls, that his blood paid the price for our sins, then we know we are promised eternal life Dwelling eternity in the presence of God, we'll get a new body, but the spirit within us is eternal because we are created in God's image and God is spirit. So the part of you, the part of me that's already eternal is the spirit. So the big question, the big issue, the most important thing is, where is that spirit going to go when you die? Is it going to go to paradise? Because Jesus promised the thief on the cross. I tell you the truth, this this day, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. But apart from Christ, the Spirit lives, continues on. I won't say lives because it's an eternal conscious state of death. And that Spirit, the Spirit within the person who doesn't know God, who hasn't received Christ... It's going to go on and on forever, but it's going to be in a place of eternal torment. And sadly, that's what a lot of people just don't get. They don't understand. Some people comfort themselves or try to comfort themselves with the thought, well, you know, for better or for worse, after this life, there's nothing. You just die and that's the end of it. Boy, you wish. Especially if you don't know God. If you know God, boy, you're looking forward to eternity. But if you don't, you're counting on the fact that there isn't any. But you're going to be sadly mistaken. So Paul says, we don't want this guy to wind up in that other place. So we're turning him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. It's a chastening from the Lord by God removing his hand of protection and allowing this guy to be the target of the enemy, that his spirit may be saved. Every human being has a spirit. We are created in the image of God. That spirit is eternal, but it can be an eternal paradise or eternal hell. You can't change that fact. And there are those who say, well, yeah, I may be going to hell, but boy, when I get there, me and my friends are really going to party. Well, in case you plan on being the weenie that gets roasted, (laughs) that's the only party you're going to have. And that ain't going to be any fun. Now, thirdly, fallen angels are referred to in the scriptures as evil spirits. Here's another spirit. Luke 4.33, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. This is from the NIV. An evil spirit, a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice. So we have God as a spirit. We have men that have spirits. We have angels, fallen angels, who are evil spirits. And then we have God's angels who were referred to in the scriptures as ministering spirits. Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. To which of the angels has he, God, ever said... Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In this first chapter of Hebrews, God, through the writer of Hebrews, we believe it to be Paul, God is showing in this first chapter the superiority of Christ over the angels. To which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool? Are they not, the angels, are they not all ministering spirits, servant spirits? sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. The way I understand this, God foreknew, it's called foreknowledge, He knew before the creation of the world every man and woman who would accept Christ and every man and woman who would reject Christ. Now, the devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. But he has a vast network of demonic entities that work with him to provide him with information and he is a very powerful being and if he has some type of information or a sense that perhaps you are one of God's chosen if you were the devil what would you try to do I would try to take you out before you could get saved right because his goal is to take every human spirit to hell with him that he possibly can So these ministering spirits, these angels, they're sent forth to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation, protecting you so that you can have that opportunity to know God. For those who will inherit salvation. And they watch over us even after we're saved. Have you ever thought... I've had this thought numerous times. When I've been in close situations. How many of you have ever been in a close situation with a car where you, you almost got in a big crash or something, or wreck, and you just really had that sense that God's angels were protecting you and watching over you. My wife and I several years ago had a motorcycle crash up here on tramway, and because I wear the helmet of salvation, <laughs> I wasn't wearing a physical helmet, and I literally felt my head hit the pavement, but it was like there was a hand underneath it, and it was just a little brush, She had a helmet on, and it was ruined. I didn't have one, but I had another kind of a helmet. I'm not saying, don't try this at home. (laughs) But we've all had those kind of experiences, have we not? Where we could have been snuffed out in an instant. But have you ever thought about the fact that all the people around you who may not even know God became the beneficiaries of your protection? Think about that. Think about that one. So ministering spirits. As God's heavenly messengers, like God himself, angels always tell the truth. However, Paul presents us with a hypothetical situation in Galatians eight. But even if we or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, the, the term angel or angelos in the Greek means messenger, so it's also sometimes used of human beings who are messengers. And so if you hear someone, some human being, preaching a gospel that in any way contradicts what we find in the Holy Scriptures... Well, not only does Paul say you shouldn't listen to them, he says let him be accursed. That's pretty strong language. Again, it's hypothetical, but he's saying even if we or an angel from heaven were to do this, Paul is using a hypothetical here to make the point that we are not to listen to anyone who tries to alter the message of the gospel in any way, shape, or form. And by the way, that's happening all over the place. Do you realize that? Many churches across America and other parts of the world are modifying the gospel to supposedly fit the culture of the day. No, no, no. The culture of the day should be modified to fit the gospel. So even if it were Billy Graham, who's now with the Lord, or Franklin Graham, or Chuck Smith, who's with the Lord, the founder of Calvary Chapel, if it, even if it were the Apostle Paul, he says even if we are an angel from heaven. Paul says, if I come back later and I change my message, let me be accursed. Or Gabriel or Michael, who are the two archangels that are mentioned in the Bible numerous times, if they were to show up and give you a different gospel, let them be accursed. 2 Corinthians eleven, thirteen, 13 and 14. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. I've actually had people come before and give me business cards. Uh, Jim Bob Johnson, apostle. You know, Jerry Jeff Walker, prophet. He's actually an old singer from the 60s or 70s, Jerry Jeff Walker. Prophet, yeah. <laughs> transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And that's why Paul gives this warning. That's why we started this chapter this morning with test the spirits. 1 Timothy 4.1, which in my Bible has a subheading, the great spirit apostasy, which means the great falling away. We're right in the middle of it right now. Do you know that? We're in the middle of it right now. First Timothy 4.1, Paul says to Timothy, now the Spirit, the good Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one we all want to be connected to, expressly says, specifically says, that in latter times, we're in the latter times right now will depart from the faith. So again, this idea of a departure. You can't depart from something that you never ever participated in in the first place, right? So let me tell you this. The greater danger, and it always has been, the greater danger to the church has always been from within, not from without. Persecution from without always makes the church stronger. So what the enemy tries to do is to destroy from within. Divide and conquer. A house divided against itself cannot stand. In latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits. Test the spirits. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, when I was a very, very young believer, and I read this verse... Doctrines of demons, it me, to me it sounds like witchcraft, Satanism, that kind of thing. It's, that's not what it is. It, that could be part of it. But doctrines of demons is really doctrines that subvert and pervert and distort the apostles' doctrine, the doctrines of the Old and New Testament. Those are the doctrines of demons. Those doctrines that mix a little bit of truth with a lot of error. Every cult would fall into that category. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, goes on and on. Those are the doctrines of demons, folks. The ones that say, oh yes, we believe in Jesus Christ, but we don't believe He's God. He's just a good man. Yes, we believe in Jesus Christ, but we don't believe in the Trinity. We just believe in one God, no Trinity. All these little subtle, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe in the virgin birth. And on and on it goes. Those are the doctrines of demons. The Mormons have a doctrine, at least they did in the 1800s. I don't know what they've done with it lately. But it was taken from the Old Testament. Oh, the blood avengers. Like the kinsmen redeemers of the Old Testament. Where they would go out with these posses in the 1800s. And if someone they believed had committed unpardonable sins, they would go and kill them. Because their belief was that some sins, and that was a Mormon doctrine. I don't know if they still have it. But one of the original Mormon doctrines is there are some sins that you must pay for with your own blood. The only problem is your blood is tainted. My blood is tainted. I can't pay for my sins with my blood. Only the precious pure blood of Jesus Christ can pay for your sins and my sins. But these are doctrines of demons, things that pervert and distort and twist and pollute the truth of God's word. So, we're back to test the spirits whether they are of God. How do we test them? Do we give them a little quiz? Do we pour water on them and see if they melt? I'm melting. Remember Wizard of Oz? No, we are to test them against the truth of God's word. And God expects us, folks. I want you to listen to me here because many people struggle with this. And that's the reason the reason is because they are governed more by their feelings and their emotions than they are by truth. God expects us to be absolutely ruthless when it comes to testing the spirits. Well, I know he's a deceiving spirit, but he's kind of nice. We already read that in Galatians 1.8. Let them be accursed. If we allow our own feelings or desires to dictate who or what we believe, disregarding the clear and plain teaching of Scripture, then we are not, one, walking in the light, we are not remaining in the truth, and we are not walking as Jesus walked. Because Jesus was and is loving, compassionate, merciful, gracious. But he was also ruthless when it came to the truth. To the the degree that even his closest friends to Peter, he says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Ruthless when it comes to the truth. I love you, man, but you are deceived. That's basically what he was saying. God is no respecter of persons, the Bible tells us. He doesn't give anyone a pass. There are those who believe that he does. Even if they have sold one million copies of their book, have 50,000 people in their church, and have an international radio and TV ministry. Or even if they are the sweetest, kindest person you ever met. Romans 2, 9 through 11. Tribulation and anguish. On every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first, God's chosen people, another. you want to hear another false doctrine that's floating around out there today? That Jews don't have to receive Christ as their Messiah because they're God's chosen people. Totally unbiblical. Totally unbiblical. All the first believers were Jewish, and guess what? They received Christ as their Messiah. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first, also the Greek, which the Greek s- stands for Gentiles of every type. So what God is saying, that because the Jews are His chosen people, they, He actually holds them to a higher level of accountability. But then, He's no respecter of persons, so all the Gentiles are held to the same standard. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone... Who works what is good. Again, we don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. Glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first. In fact, Paul said, I'm called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and yet, every city he went to, where was the first place he went? To the synagogue. Because he he felt a responsibility to bring the message to his own people, knowing that nine times out of ten, They're going to reject it, but I'm going to take it to them first. Because God entrusted his message to the Jewish people way back in the Old Testament days. They were called to be a light to the rest of the world. They failed. Nonetheless, Jesus is Jewish and God sent him to Israel and he brought his message to the Jewish people. They rejected him and then it went out to the rest of the world. To the Jew first and also to the Greek for there is no partiality with God." There's no partiality with regard to His grace and mercy and there's also, as Paul shows us here, no partiality with regard to His judgment. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you reject Christ then you will suffer the consequences. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you do accept Christ then you reap the benefits and the blessings of that. But nobody gets a pass. God is ruthless regarding the truth. We move on. We're still in verse 1. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Why do we need to test the spirits? Because there's deceiving spirits everywhere. Now, here's a question. Does someone have to be a preacher, teacher, pastor, radio or TV personality in order to be a false prophet? No. It could be your next-door neighbor. It could be your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. That might sound a little silly, but it's absolutely true. Your coworker. Anyone who would intentionally or unintentionally. Here's the other part of this. Well, they didn't mean to deceive, it doesn't matter whether it's intentional or unintentional, try to undermine your faith and turn you away from the one true God and His one true gospel. Well, I didn't mean to run over that guy with my car. I'm really sorry he's dead. Not half as sorry as he is. And uh, those near and dear to him, just because someone unintentionally leads you astray, that doesn't mean it's okay. Get it? But the onus falls upon you to test the spirits. And see, behind every false doctrine, every philosophy of men, every ism, humanism, Darwinism, on and on it goes, behind every one of those is a spirit or spirits working in collusion with the unregenerate spirit of man. Do you see how this works? Now, you you think that these guys were just really smart and came up with this really... Tricky, deceptive, false doctrine all on their own? Do you think that? Or do you think that they had other spirits helping them? What do you think? Absolutely. Doctrines of demons. That means they came from demonic entities. Get it? Just as you and I as believers, when we're born again, we're filled with the Spirit of God. We are influenced by the Holy Spirit. Now, we can either cooperate with that influence or we can fight against it. Let's be honest, sometimes we fight against it, don't we? We don't want to, we try not to, but sometimes the flesh gets in the way. So if you and I can be influenced by the Holy Spirit, and we should be, in fact, we should not only be influenced, we should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Well, if that's possible for you and I, then what's possible for those who don't know God? That they can be influenced and even controlled by evil spirits. Test the spirits. They're not all of God. If they deviate from the truth, they're not of God. Here's a popular, it's not necessarily a biblical doctrine, but a popular false doctrine, doctrine of demons today is that abortion is all about a woman's health. That's absolutely a doctrine of demons. It's not healthy to get an abortion. And it's really not healthy for the baby. Get it? And they call it health care. That is nothing less than a lie from the pit of hell. Do we get that? One example. Thank you. I can give you another one. It doesn't matter who or what you love. All love is good. And it doesn't matter what gender you are. And so on and so forth flies directly in the face not only of creation, of God, of His Word, but of rationality and common sense. Yeah. Creation tells us how that it's supposed to operate. One male, one female. Right? Using all the equipment the way it was created to be used. Right? Try putting water in your gas tank See how that works. You're going to ruin your car. I'll water in where the motor oil's supposed to go. You put the wrong thing in the wrong place, and nothing good happens. Do you get it? That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a doctrine of demons. And yet, most people in the world today are embracing. In fact, many in the church embracing. I see so many people backpedaling today because they're scared to death to offend anybody. And so even though in their heart of hearts they know what's right and they know what's wrong, they won't say it because they don't want to offend anybody. Well, I'm telling you, all those people that they're trying not to offend are going to be really offended when they wind up in hell and they want to know why you didn't tell them. (laughs) Keeping it light and easy today, huh, Georgie? Oh, boy. Woo! Are we having fun yet? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Woo! Where was I? Proverbs 6:27. This is so good. Wait, I didn't do Second Corinthians 6:14 and 15. Let me do that first. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. See, the yoke, where they would put the two oxen together, right? And so they have to pull the cart or the wagon together, the two oxen yoked together. So again, we can't leave this world. God has placed us in this world. We're to be in this world but not of it. We are to show people the love of Christ. But when you're yoked with somebody, that's that's a bonding. That's a a connection. Paul says, don't do that. Believers shouldn't marry a non-believer. Believers shouldn't go into business with a non-believer. And on and on it goes. But of course, like everything else, we stupid Christians never listen to God. We just do what we want to do anyway. And then we're puzzled because things don't turn out right. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Good question, Paul. Shouldn't be any. But he's my friend. We've been friends since elementary school. I can't help if he's a hardened criminal, murderer, and drug dealer. I still like him. What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, which is another name for Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Again, we're not arrogant, rude, mean. We don't shun them. We show them the love of Christ, but you don't get yoked with them. Because more often than not, they will lead you astray, not the other way around. Proverbs 6.27, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? King James Version. When you, if you play with the fire of false teachers, deceivers, false prophets, you know, I've heard people say, well, I know there's some things in there that aren't quite right. This, you know, I'm reading this book right now, this shack. Really? Can I have your copy to use in my fireplace? (laughs) The message, the massage. Any of you have the massage translation? It feels so good. If you take that fire to your bosom, you will get burned. And I meet that in every possible sense of the word. If you play with the fire of false teachers, deceivers, false prophets, which is, according to John, the spirit of Antichrist, by the way, I don't suspect anyone here today would want to be identified with Antichrist, would you? But if you play with that fire of false teachers, deceivers, false prophets, that's what you're doing. Again, doesn't mean we should be mean, hateful, vitriolic, but we need to be guarded, we need to be strong, we need to stand firm, like Jesus. Just follow the example of Jesus, that works pretty good. Verse 2. That was all verse 1. Thank you very much. By this you know the Spirit of God. How many of you want to know the Spirit of God? Absolutely. How do you know the Spirit of God? Every spirit that confesses, this is whether it's a human spirit, demonic spirit, angelic spirit, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So now John tells us what we're to be looking for. The Spirit of God in the words and actions of anyone and everyone who claims to know God and to speak for Him. Many people do that. I'm doing that here today. Humbly, with great fear and trepidation, I'm up here today by the grace of God, by the calling of God, as a spokesman for God, and I better make darn sure I'm speaking the truth. Otherwise, I'll have to give an account for that. Every believer, by the way, is to be a spokesman for God, his representatives here on the earth. 1 Peter 3.15. Peter is not writing to just elders, deacons, pastors. He's writing to the body of Christ. And he says, sanctify, which means to set apart. Sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you Why do you believe what you believe? Peter says we're all supposed to be ready to be able to do that with meekness and fear, humility. But we are to be ready to give an answer for why we believe what we believe. Every believer is to be a spokesman for God. By this you know or recognize the Spirit of God. By this you know or recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit, be they human, be they heavenly, be they demonic. If they are of God, the message will be consistent right down the line. It will all match up. If it doesn't, Houston, we have a problem. But see, confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is much more than just acknowledging Jesus' existence as a real historical figure. A lot of people have problems even with that. They try to deny, just like the Holocaust deniers who try to say that the Nazis didn't kill 6 million Jews in World War II. We have a lot of people in denial about a lot of things. And there are those who try to deny the historical existence of jesus christ but even those who acknowledge it it's much more than just saying yeah i believe jesus was here on the earth two thousand years ago one it means you believe in his incarnation the bible tells us he's to be called emmanuel which means god with us so when you acknowledge that jesus christ has come in the flesh you're saying i believe that god came into this world in the form of a man matthew one twenty three behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Secondarily, when you say, I believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're also acknowledging his deity. Colossians 2.9, For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, bodily, So all the fullness of God dwelt and does dwell within Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the fullness, we are acknowledging the fullness of His humanity. He referred to Himself repeatedly as the Son of Man. Philippians 2.7 He made Himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. You see, the Gnostics taught and do teach, for there's still Gnosticism in the world today. The Gnostics taught that Jesus didn't really have a physical body, that he was a phantom, a spirit, and that undoes the, everything about the cross of Christ. If he didn't have a physical body, how can he be crucified? How could he physically die on the cross for our sins? They taught this false doctrine of demons that Jesus didn't actually have a body of flesh and blood and bone. The fullness of his humanity Because you and I have that fullness of physicality plus spirituality. He died for every part of who we are, created by God in His image. And so we look to Him as an example of what we can and will be if we put our faith in Him. And then, fourthly, His resurrection. When you say that you believe Jesus came into this world in the flesh as a literal physical being, not only human, fully human and fully God. You're also saying, I believe also that he rose from the dead. Because you've got to take the whole package. The sure and certain hope of our resurrection lies within the fact of his resurrection. John 10, 27. Then he said to Thomas, you remember this story, one week after the resurrection, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Remember Thomas said, I don't believe he's risen. I won't believe it unless I see it for myself and I get to touch him. Jesus shows up and says, okay, touch me. And reach your hand here. Put it into my side where the sword had been thrust in. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, Paul says, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So these four things, when we confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's an indicator that we are of God. Our spirit is tuned into His spirit. We believe in His incarnation, His deity, the fullness of His humanity, and His resurrection from the dead. And then, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit or you could say person or spirit behind the person. See, if there's any evil spirits, deceptive spirits, lying spirits hanging around, and you confess to these things, they're not going to stick around. They don't dig that. When they start hearing the truth about God and about Jesus Christ, they hit the road. And that's why this whole... Here's another false doctrine for you that Christians can be demon possessed. That's totally unbiblical. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, a demon can't live in there. It doesn't work. You believe, do you believe the Spirit of God's going to let a demon come in and hang out with him? That's crazy. But it's really good for manipulating people. If you can convince a believer who's already struggling, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, struggling with sin, well, it's not your fault. You have a demon. Oh, I feel so much better knowing it's not me. Greg Laurie used to make jokes about that. I remember him talking one time about the chocolate cake demon. (laughs) I'm sorry, Christian. You can't have a demon inside of you. They can bother you. They can harass you. And if you choose to walk in disobedience to God and not walk in the truth, then you're giving them a lot of latitude to mess around with your life. But they can't live inside of you, so you can't use that excuse anymore. Sorry. You're going to have to admit that you're a sinner, and you're going to have to ask God to forgive you. You see, stop blaming the devil like Geraldine. Flip Wilson, that's how old I am. The devil made me do it, baby. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit, person, spirit behind the person that acknowledges these cardinal beliefs of the Christian faith, then most likely they're going to fall in line with the rest of the apostles' doctrine, the truth. It's not about how impressive these deceivers are, how knowledgeable they appear to be. It's not about how eloquent they are, how great their appearance is, how friendly they are. A lot of times people portray the devil as this evil, nasty guy. I have a feeling that if you were to meet up with him, he would seem like the nicest guy you ever met. I mean, he did a pretty good job of deceiving Eve in the garden, didn't he? How do you think the Antichrist is going to come across when he comes on the scene? Boy, when Hitler first came on the scene, people went crazy for him. And I could name other names, but I'll restrain myself. In fact, you could almost say, not all the time, but many times, those people who come across as the most dynamic, charismatic, friendly, they're the ones you got to watch out for. At least with somebody like me, what you see is what you get. A lot of people don't like it. But at least I'm not faking it. I'm not putting it on, folks. This is who I am, and I'm not going to hide it. Some of the most solid Bible teachers that I've come across in my life have had the bedside manner of a wet blanket. Some of the most famous preachers in history have been like that. But it's all about the truth. Do You see that? It's all about the truth. People who don't know God love to be lied to. Did you know that? Because they can't handle the truth. Sound familiar? Famous movie. Jack Nicholson. They can't handle the truth and they don't want to be held accountable. Don't tell me the truth. I don't want to hear it, I don't want to know it, and I don't want to be answerable to it. But of children of God, folks, we are called to love the truth. Love it! Not just like it. Love it! 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, and 10. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the work of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. See, that could be very appealing to someone who's deceived, Power, signs, lying wonders. This is amazing. This guy's incredible. And with all unrighteousness, all unrighteous deception, among those who perish, because they did not receive, or one translation says they refused the love of the truth. See, folks, you have to receive the love of the truth. It's a choice. They did not receive. They refuse the love of the truth. Jesus is the truth. You need to love him. And you need to receive his truth without hesitation, without restrictions. That they might be saved. Folks, without the truth you can't be saved. There's a lot of false belief systems in the world today. There's a lot of false religion. There's a lot of people who think they're saved and they aren't. You can know that you're saved. You can know that you know that you know. But you have to know the truth and you have to love it. Do we all get that? Why would you not love the truth? It would be foolish to love deception. John 18, 37. And I rarely use this, but this time I will. The New Living Translation. Pilate said to Jesus, So you are a king? Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Finally, one more passage, and we're just about right on the nose here. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Again, Paul writing to Timothy about the last days. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. You think times are getting more and more perilous out there? Every day? For men will be lovers of themselves. There it is. Everything that follows is kind of descriptive of this first phrase. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. No problem today with that, is there? Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, on the way here this morning... We live in the North Valley. We decided to drive down Rio Grande Boulevard today and um, drove by the Flying Star Village there just south of Montano, packed out every single space taken. And as you drive through town, you see that everywhere, parking lots jam-packed with people not going to church, out fulfilling their desires for pleasure. The majority of people in this city and any other big city in the U.S. are not in church today because they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, its power to transform you, to change your life, to mold you and shape you into the image of Jesus Christ, the power to help you not sin, help you not indulge the flesh, that power having a form of godliness but denying its power, the power to raise you from the dead. And here we go again, that which so many people are not willing to do, from such people, Paul tells Timothy, turn away. Because two things will happen if you turn away. One, maybe that person will come to their senses and repent. Number two, you won't be polluted by them. It's a no-lose situation for you. But if you don't turn away, then you're gambling with eternity. You're clutching fire to your bosom. You can't be a lover of self and love the truth at the same time. Did you know that? Because they don't work together. They don't go hand in hand. According to John, if you love the truth, then you are from God. You are of God. And if you don't, then you're not. It's so, so very simple. Let's stand. And let's pray. Father God, thank you for the truth. Lord Jesus, you said we would know the truth and the truth would make us free. Thank you for the truth. You are the truth. We love you. We don't just like you, Lord. We love you. We want to be of you. We want to walk in the truth. We want to live in the truth. We want to walk in the light. We want to be like you. Give us the strength to stand firm in these last days and not depart from the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. And Lord, for anyone here today who is feeling a little lost or confused, we pray that today you would bring clarity into their life. If they don't know you, we pray this very day they would embrace you as their Lord and Savior, and they would come out of darkness and into the light, out of death and into life. And Lord, for those who have made that confession, that profession of faith in Christ, but are struggling in their walk, we ask you to encourage them today, strengthen them, And Lord, for all those who need prayer and would desire prayer, we pray that they would come now and receive the ministry of your Holy Spirit from our prayer team this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.